Pray with me. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts and thoughts be acceptable in thy sight, our Lord, our strength, our Redeemer, and our rock. Amen. Sanctuary, I was glad, and I mean really, really glad, I mean real glad when they said unto me, and by they I mean the pastors in our community, let us come into the house of the Lord in person. Um, <laughs> because Zoom was tired um, and exhausting. And on my first Sunday back, I looked at you, our community, and you all are a sight for very, very, very sore eyes and weary eyes. Um, I could have, if we were doing coffee hour, have stayed for coffee hour. And generally, I never stay for coffee hour because I remember being forced to do it as a kid when my father preached. It was like, you go in for coffee hour and you stay all day long and you never come out until it's dark. <laughs> so, so these days, I just leave immediately. Um, but you were so beautiful and uh, so, it was such a, a moment to have seen all of us together that um, I would have been convinced to stay for coffee hour. And um, having been absent, us absent from each other for such a long time, for rather than just jump into the readings, I wanted to acknowledge the corporal expression of worship, the collective response back to God. Or what other Christians may call the liturgy means more now than it has ever meant before. And I feel like now I understand Hebrews 10.25 in a deeper way, yet and still, when it says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. I'm not 100% sure what day they think is approaching, but whatever day is coming, I am, I'm 100% sure that I'd rather face it with you than face it without you. Amen? Um, I have several preambles, as I usually do, before I actually get to talking. Um, and the second one is a story. So um, I was with a really good friend of mine, um, a, a beloved dear friend of mine, um, and we were talking about marriage and the necessity of marriage for Christian traditions and the Christian life, and I talked about wanting to be married. And they said, well, Chris, um, you can't get married because you haven't received the sacrament of, uh, of baptism, believe it or not. Um, and uh, so what a timely, timely offering that, that uh, David would announce today that we are now doing baptisms. Um, and so this friend was sort of arguing uh, that I needed to be baptized first in order to be included in the kingdom of God. Um, and then I turned to them and said, well, you know, on the rare occasion, the spirit does move without baptism. <laughs> and if God can use a donkey, and I didn't actually use that word, I used the other word, but if God can use a donkey, then sure enough, she should have no problem using me. <laughs> and my friend said, oh, you could just, oh, you could just get baptized. And I said, Jesus wept. Um, <laughs> so this, this moment that I'm encountering um, made me think of all the patterns and the liturgies or the work of the people of the church. Um, Acts chapter 10, 11, and 12 in particular have an importance, not only for the structures that it sets up, um, or structure that sets in place for church dogma and doctrine, but also for how we might begin to think about radical prophetic inclusion moving forward. Particularly when we, may, when, we, when we may not be ready for it, but God has done it and has moved on. How might we react when she sends a text message to us that says, by the way, 
I am doing a new thing. I just made a river in the desert. You welcome. Sincerely, God. So today I'll be looking mainly at Peter as a conduit, professing um, inclusion and the, bend to, the historical bend of the church towards radical inclusion, both that of the Gentiles and others. The bending of the arc, the bending of the arc of the early church, leading right up into the, bend, the bending of the arc of our contemporary church, and hoping that the narrative might shine a light on the tradition of our own tradition in light of God's improvisational inclination by suggesting both an expansion of the law, recognizing the fruit of the Spirit evidenced on bodies, and testimony as proof of God's encounter. I'll offer a short historical context for the scriptures, although they won't be shown um, on the projector today. Um, and then I will share the excerpts from the sacred text, and then I will try to tell or share what I think has been gleaned from those very readings. So the story picks up where Christ has now been crucified, he has died, he has been resurrected, he has ascended, the spirit has fallen on people in Pentecost, people are speaking in tongues, the people are healing, this is an exciting time, the great commission has been given, which said you should baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they should repent, spread the gospel out of the world, and the story starts with um, a man named Cornelius um, receiving a vision to go find Peter. And Peter also simultaneously has a vision. And this is where Acts 10, 9 through 10 starts. Peter became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open up and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners was sent to him and let it down from the earth. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth, creepy, crawly things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord, not so, for nothing unclean or common has ever touched my mouth. And the voice spoke to him again, a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. So then Peter is told by God to go and find, when the two people could show up at his door, to go with them to where, and do whatever it is without questioning it. Um, and so they say, hey, Cornelius sent us. We need, we need you to come back with us so that we can, you can talk to Cornelius and tell him whatever it is that God has told you. And so Peter agrees, I think sort of begrudgingly, but agrees, and goes. Peter gets there, talks to Cornelius, tells Cornelius to stand up. He's only just a man. And while Peter started to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those who were Jewish and of the circumcision, who believed, were astonished, as many who came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard, him, heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so after this, um, Peter's, a couple days Peter stays, he returns back to Jerusalem, and uh, he's encountered by his friends, the apostles and his brothers. And they said, Peter, are you eating? with unclean people? And Peter says, well, hold up, let me tell you how the story goes. And he professes to tell the whole story thus far. 
He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us in the beginning. Then I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall baptize, shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gifts as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. And then they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance of life. The first moment that jumps out to me in the sacred text is the expansion of the law. Church, I want to draw a special attention, attention and importance to Peter's response back to God, which is, I haven't eaten anything unclean. Nothing unclean or common has ever touched my mouth. Nestled in this response is an understanding of Leviticus 18.20 and also parts of Deuteronomy. The Kashrath, which is developed as a Jewish dietary law, also derived from these scriptures, has turned into what we might consider to be kosher now. So it's actually not just about being a part of the Torah. It's not just about being part of the law. This is a part of Peter's culture. This is the way he was raised. This is how he understands himself. It's a part of his identity. Previously eating animals from this sheet would have made him ritually unclean and not fit for full inclusion in God's family. So when God is saying, eat this animal, these animals from this sheep that's falling from heaven, it's a challenge to the very way he understands himself, the way he understands the law, the way he understands the Torah, and most importantly, the way he understands God. And both simultaneously, God makes clean that which can now be eaten and sets the stage for the inclusion of the Gentiles by removing an obstacle or a conflict or any kind of messiness that could erupt over food and the way has been paved. And I remember or recall Ali Borgia-German's homily about a year ago, an early fall, when she said, eating together remains one of our most intimate acts. And now, such an intimate act, what is being consumed is now no longer a barrier. And I find it particularly useful the past tense is used, I have made it clean. Even though no one has gotten the memo yet, God didn't send out the text message, but inevitably, he's made it clean. And I love these kinds of memos or emails where it says the job is already done, not the kind that asks me to do something extra to make the thing happen, but that you read it and it has already happened and you go, ah, oh, yes, delete. Um, <laughs> so, so this is one of those emails where it has already come to pass and God is just saying, FYI, I've done something different. The fruit of the Spirit is the second gleaming from this, is that the gift of the Spirit that is being poured out on Cornelius and his family is meaningful because, according to the sacred text, Cornelius would have been the first Gentile and family, the first Gentiles to receive the Holy Spirit. What makes this peculiar is that he received the Holy Spirit without being baptized. It seems that there is a pattern um, you are repent, you repent, you get baptized by water for the remission of your sins, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. It's pro forma. And, such a, and so much so, in fact, that Christ also follows this, right? As we recall, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And then there's a, something that the Spirit descends from heaven and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So it seems that this is a prototype for how the early church and our contemporary church would have imagined the Holy Spirit engaged with bodies attempting to draw closer to God except God improvises and throws a wild card in the formula. Just because it's probable doesn't mean it's impossible for God to do something else. It's probable, it's patterned, 
that this is the way that God, up until now, God and the Spirit has generally worked. God through the Spirit has generally worked. But God might work another way. I recall the sacred text saying, remember not the former things. Do not consider the things of, oh, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It seems pretty impossible that rivers would appear in the desert, but the impossible seems to have been done. There is a way in the wilderness, and there are rivers in the desert. And this is like the best bait and switch I've ever seen. It's saying, this is the way things are normally done, and just now I'm showing up in a way that no one would expect. And in fact, this is an improvisational uh, aspect of our God in that um, a baby in a manger comes when one is expecting a king to overthrow the Romans. They ask for a king, and then they get a boy with a slingshot. The savior of the world is born to a young, unmarried woman. I think the contemporary church and the early church could be pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised when God moves in a different direction. And I'm going to be a little bit, I'm going to go rogue and be a little bold and say, for our brothers and sisters in other Christian traditions, other denominations, and other churches that happen to be struggling with some kinds of inclusion of certain people, they may have missed the gift of the Spirit on people who they don't fully include because perhaps they didn't get the message. Perhaps the memo got lost that what you cannot call dirty what God has made clean. The outpouring of the Spirit on Cornelius' family is as much about their salvation as it is about making visible the commonality of the family traits between the Jews and now the Gentiles. It's as much about proving to the Jews that this same Spirit that fell on you is also found here. Not by the same methodology, of course, not by the same process, but you might recognize the Spirit when it comes. I remember a year ago around this time, Katie and Bork preached one Sunday, and I saw the Spirit, the true outpouring of the Spirit, and I said to myself, she's, yes, God is really here. So, and, and, and cast it against it, I can only like, imagine um, what it must have been to witness the speaking in tongues. I can see, I can only imagine the people surrounded by Peter being like, whoa, they're doing what we do, but they haven't followed the same process. But then God is also a wild card. So the question is, is how can we make space for God to be a wild card, to be radically inclusive in the ways in which we may not imagine and ways in which we may not be ready for? I think through testimony. Testimony, the lived experience with the divine. Testimony for me at least describes a recollection or retelling of our life's experiences with God to offer for the church for approval, for a way of thinking, for a way of adding on to what has already been given. And um, Peter now has to testify in front of his friends. Um, they contend with him, the scripture says. And I say you went, into with, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. You ate with them? You ate with them? You broke the law? This is the moment um, where I'm echoing uh, what might have been said to Peter and what it might have been thought about him um, for doing something unclean or would have made him ritually unclean. And I can imagine that Peter might be like, well, well, if they have the same family traits as we do, if the Spirit is the same on them as it was when we got it in Pentecost, we see it on them right now. Who is I to stand in the way? I recognize the Spirit and I baptize them. Testimony remains the way in which we offer up our own additions, our own revisions to what God has already done in our sacred text, restrained and aligned and cooperated by love. When I'm thinking about how Peter must have felt 
what you've been told as a kid has been adjusted. Your, your, your very identity has been challenged. You're, you're being ushered into a kind of radical inclusivity that you might not be prepared for. Then you see the gifts that you thought were only for you and your friends poured out for others. And now you have to baptize them. And now the other has been dissolved beautifully into your brother. And they is resolved into we. In essence, multiple testimonies of the Spirit are being poured out, even if it doesn't follow the form that we follow, even if the liturgy is different. We can recognize the Spirit when the Spirit comes. Because as our pastor 80 says, deep does indeed call to deep. And when they heard Peter say this, they said, God is also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. Um, so if you take out your uh, cell phones or mobile devices that you have with you, feel free. I know that's a direct weirdness to what we generally do. It's not our general practices. But if you just take it out for me and go to your notes section, or you're invited to, you don't, if you, if you feel resistant, go with that feeling, of course. <laughs> uh, but you are invited to pull out your cell phone. And I'd like you to play a prophecy game with me. Don't worry, it probably won't come true, but again, God is a wild card. This is an exercise in dreaming. What impossible thing might God do next? Where there, is n where there is a way in the wilderness, when we find ourselves in deserts, how might God move for us, both personally, um, corporally as a church, and then globally as a people? When there is no river to drink from, when we are alone, together, where might God intervene both for us and the church? How might, we, how, might we, how might we be caught up in it? How might we bear witness to the expansion of the law, fruit of the spirit, and the bodies? How might we bear, bear witness to us and them being turned into we? So for the next five, three to five minutes, um, please write down a prophecy of how God might move for us. You should do that now.
feel free to keep um, documenting and archiving your prophecies. And remember not the former things though, consider not the things of old. Behold, God is still doing a new thing for us. Now it even springs forth, even here in sanctuary. Don't you perceive it? That she will make a way in the wilderness and that she will make rivers in the desert. For the word of God found in scripture, for the word of God found among us, and for the word of God found within us, praise be to the living God. Amen. At this time, we will transition to a time of worship along with communion and prayer. The worship team is invited, is warmly invited to come forward. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.